You're listening to The South Stands, a Buckeye football podcast by Ohio State fans for Ohio State fans on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Welcome back to The South Stands, a Buckeye football podcast by Ohio State fans for Ohio State fans from the West Coast. I'm your host, Zach Moore. Today is Sunday, November 7th. And it's just going to be another one-man show today. I'm going to spend the next 20, 30 minutes having a look at Ohio State's harrowing, nail-biting, 26-17 win over Nebraska yesterday afternoon in Lincoln. Now, look, Vegas tried to warn us. They made Ohio State only a 15-point favorite in this game, and that line was eventually bet down to 14 right before kickoff. As Paige, Chad, and I discussed on our preview pod this past Thursday, Nebraska had previously played three top 10 teams, Oklahoma, Michigan State, and Michigan, down to the wire, losing by only seven to the Sooners and by three to both the Spartans and the Wolverines. Somehow, we all thought the Buckeyes would win comfortably anyway. I I had Ohio State winning the game 45 to 20, I believe. Now, for what it's worth, which isn't much, Ohio State did manage to hand Nebraska its largest margin of defeat this season. But look, I'm sorry, a nine-point win over a three-and-six football team, you know, a program that Ohio State has dominated for the last 10 years, is not the standard at Ohio State. So I don't think I'm going to spend a lot, of time, a lot of time turd polishing this result as I did the Penn State game last week. Now, to be fair, Ohio State was without star receiver Garrett Wilson, who is in concussion protocol right now. They, the Buckeyes hope to have him next week for the Purdue game. And that certainly had an impact on the game against Nebraska, despite Ohio State's gaudy passing numbers. They were also a little dinged up along the offensive line. Left tackle Nicholas Petit-Ferrer had to miss several practices during the week. And right tackle Dewan Jones was reportedly ill, though they did both play in this game. So let's start with a positive, and, and I'll talk about what I liked in this game. Jackson Smith and Jigba. I mean, what can you say about the performance from Smith and Jigba yesterday in Garrett Wilson's absence? Operating from the slot, Smith and Jigba broke the school's single game record for receptions previously held by David Boston with 15. Now, Boston's record of 14 receptions against Penn State in 1997 stood for 24 years. And Smith and Jigba's 240 yards receiving yesterday against the Huskers trails only Terry Glenn's 252 yards against Pitt back in 1995. And for the second week in a row, Smith and Jigba turned what should have been a short gain into an explosive play. His 75-yard catch and run gave the Buckeyes a 17-3 second quarter lead. And now Smith and Jigba is Ohio State's leading receiver, both in receptions and yards. He leads the Buckeyes with 50 receptions and 888 receiving yards. Man, what can you say about Smith and Jigba? He's certainly going to grade out as a champion uh, for that performance. But you know what? For the second week in a row, he may be the only offensive player to grade out as a champion for the Buckeyes because there wasn't a lot else to like for Ohio State on the offensive side of the ball. Now, more on that in a minute. I also liked what I saw out of the Ohio State defense. The Buckeyes held the Husker offense to 17 points and only 361 total yards, and that's 108 yards below Nebraska's season average. They also held a pretty potent Nebraska run game to only 3.3 yards per rush and held Nebraska 
Uh, on third down, they only allowed two of 13 third down conversions, the Buckeye defense did. So pretty darn impressive performance out of the Ohio State defense. I also liked what I saw from the Ohio State pass rush. The Buckeyes sacked Adrian Martinez five times. Defensive ends Tyreek Smith, Zach Harrison, Javante Jean-Baptiste, and Jack Sawyer each had a sack. I was looking at the PFF grades. The Buckeye pass rush received its highest pro football focus grade of the season at 84.5. That's the highest grade they received for pass rush since the Akron game. Now, Tyreek Smith in particular was unblockable all day. And it also seemed like Nebraska was holding him all day long. And unfortunately, Smith wasn't able to actually draw many of those flags, though he should have. It, again, it seemed like Nebraska just would tackle him. Nebraska offensive linemen were tackling him. He was a beast for the second week in a row. Smith, I tell you, a healthy Smith, and I know I said this last week, Smith is such a difference maker for this defense when he's healthy. The Buckeyes are now tied for first nationally in sacks with 34 on the season. They're averaging 3.74 per game. And the issues the Buckeyes had getting to the quarterback early in the season are way far in the rear view. It seems like a completely different season, a completely different year that we were complaining about this Ohio State defensive front not getting enough pressure on opposing quarterbacks. They were fantastic in that regard again yesterday. Another thing I absolutely love to see, place kicker Noah Ruggles, the North Carolina transfer, hit four field goals, including a pair of 46 yarders, the second of which he hit into the wind with 129 to play in the game, giving the Buckeyes a nine-point lead and basically sealing the outcome for Ohio State. And on the season, Ruggles is a perfect 15 for 15 on field goal tries. And who knew he turned out to be such a valuable asset for this team? I guess kind of ironically, I don't know that it's, you know, a super positive development that we've had to rely on Ruggles <laughs> as much as we've had. I mean, it's, it's surprising to be totally honest because a lot of folks didn't think Ruggles would be getting much action with, with the offensive potency we'd been expecting this season and that we've seen at times this season. I personally just thought Ruggles was there to kick the extra point and we wouldn't be uh, needing him for long field goal attempts. But in each of these last two games, Ruggles has delivered big time and really was a, a big difference in both of those outcomes for Ohio State. Okay. Why don't we move over to what I didn't like? Starting with red zone inefficiency. The Buckeyes were only one of three scoring touchdowns in the red zone against Nebraska after going one of six against Penn State last week. A two of nine in the red zone scoring touchdowns is not going to get it done. And Ohio State fans will tell you, you know, especially those that are long in the tooth like me, you've seen this play out before, that when you end up having to settle for field goals in the red zone, it's eventually going to catch up to you at some point. You're gonna, it's going to cost you a game. And this is something Ohio State has to get ironed out. I don't know what the answer is. And I'm going to get into this in a little bit, but I don't believe it's talent related. The Buckeyes have an embarrassment of riches on the offensive side. And there's no reason that they shouldn't be more efficient in the red zone. So red zone inefficiency, obviously something I'm sure any Buckeye fan would tell you they hated to see again rear its ugly head in this game. Secondly, a lack of a run-pass balance and an over-reliance on C.J. Stroud's arm. Stroud threw 54 times in this game, completing now 36 of those for 405 yards and two touchdowns, but also two interceptions 
and what was nearly a catastrophic third turnover on a strip sack on first and 10 from the Nebraska 34-yard line with a minute 45 to play. First, if you're Ryan Day, why in the hell are you calling a pass play on first and 10 with under two minutes to play in a six-point game on the road? Why are you doing that? And with a redshirt freshman quarterback. Second, in a game where the defense held Nebraska to 108 yards under its season average and to only 17 points, why are you throwing the ball 54 times? You throw 54 times when you're in the Big 12 and you're, and you're playing uh, games up in the 50s, the high 40s and 50s. Not, not in a, certainly not in a game where you held the opponent to 17 points and really kind of bottled up the opposing offense most of the day. You shouldn't need to throw the ball 54 times. And I was a little surprised to see in the box score that Travion Henderson actually finished with 136 total yards on 27 touches because watching the game, it seemed he was criminally underutilized. Of their first 16 offensive plays of the game, 13 of them were passes. So Day came out of the gates, kind of bound and determined to really force the issue throwing the ball. Henderson only had one carry on Ohio State's opening drive and only two on their second possession. He had only three carries in the third quarter. And from my point of view, the offensive line had been getting decent push. And when Day did call the occasional run for Henderson, the, the, the line was getting him three, four, five, six yards. It, the Nebraska front was not stonewalling Henderson like Penn State did for two plus quarters last week. So I found it very curious that Day didn't make any kind of real commitment to running the ball, especially after last week, when I think his patience with the running game eventually did pay off in the second half. So... You know, Day has to get back to more balance in his offensive play calling, and he has to be more patient with the run game. I mean, the offensive line will eventually wear opposing defenses down, and Henderson is eventually going to break off a big run or two, as he did last week against Penn State in the second half. He had two big runs in the second half that led to a touchdown and then to the game ceiling field goal. So you have to, Day has to have more patience with the run game. He's got to trust Henderson. He's got to trust his offensive line. Now, Bill Landis of The Athletic pointed out in his column today that the Ohio State offense has scored only four touchdowns in 27 possessions over the last two games. This offense, and I can't explain it, but it seems to have lost its mojo somehow, and I can't, I can't understand why. And nobody whose opinions I listen to, at least at this stage, can seem to explain why. Because there's no shortage of talent, and there's no shortage of proven talent. Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson... Jeremy Ruckert, Thayer Munford, Nicholas Petit-Ferrer. These are future NFL players. These are future high NFL draft picks. These are talented players with proven track records at Ohio State who won a lot of big games here. And of the young guys who played up to now, these are the, the less proven players. I think we've seen enough of a sample size from CJ Stroud to tell us he's more than a capable trigger man for this offense. And everything we've seen from Travion Henderson so far has shown that he's a very special talent. And we've already talked about Jackson Smith and Jigba, a true sophomore. He's turning into a star right before our eyes. So I refuse to believe this is either talent or experience related. And I refuse to believe this offense can't get its mojo back. The onus is absolutely on Ryan Day and Kevin Wilson to get this offense back on track. They, they have to get back to being balanced and creative in the play calling. Another thing I hated about what I saw yesterday, 
eight second half penalties for 65 yards for Ohio State. Ohio State did not have a penalty in the first half. They had eight after halftime. On one third quarter possession, the Ohio State offense was flagged three times in five plays for two different holding penalties and an ineligible man downfield. And then after forcing a Nebraska punt on the ensuing possession, Cade Stouffer was flagged for an illegal block in the back on the return. And Chris Olave, who was back, he was the punt returner on the play. He was literally running out of bounds when Stover was flagged for, for the illegal block. So it was a completely unnecessary boneheaded play. And it cost Ohio State really good field position. They would have been set up on Nebraska's side of the field were it not for that penalty. Finally, and I hate to single out an individual player, but Lathan Ransom, it was a rough, rough day for the sophomore defensive back. He was twice torched by Nebraska receiver Samore Torre. Now, we talked about Torre on the preview pod. I'm not going to pretend that I knew a lot about Torre before this game, but we did have a look at his numbers, and there was reason that they needed to to respect Torrey's ability. He came into the game averaging almost 20 yards per reception. But Torrey torched Lathan Ransom for two long pass plays, including a 72-yard touchdown. Torrey also beat Ransom for a 53-yard catch and run down to the Ohio State one-yard line that set up Nebraska's only other touchdown of the game. Ransom, good young player. He's been solid for Ohio State all season. I think he's going to be fine. And in the postgame, Matt Barnes actually took the blame for both plays, saying he had Ohio State in the wrong coverage on both occasions. But look, I'm sure Ransom will tell you he's got to be better there, right? I mean, with a pass-happy Purdue squad and a great receiver and David Bell coming to Columbus next Saturday, Ransom and also Bryson Shaw, they got to be better on the back end. All right, I want to spend just a few minutes looking at some of the other results around the country that I think have an impact on uh, on Ohio State. Let's have a look at the Michigan State-Purdue matchup. Now, as I predicted, uh, Purdue uh, was too much for Michigan State. They were a bad matchup for Michigan State. Michigan State went into that game with the 127th ranked pass defense. They were somewhere in the 100s in total defense, and Purdue exploited that to the tune of 536 yards passing from Aiden O'Connell, the Purdue quarterback. He threw for three touchdowns and star receiver David Bell, 11 receptions for 217 yards and a touchdown. Michigan State was really never, I mean, they had tied the game at one point, but you just, you got the feeling watching the game that Purdue was in control throughout. Purdue ends up winning 40 to 29. They held a 21-7 lead early in the game. Michigan State came back to tie it at 21, but then Purdue pulled away in the second half again for the 40 to 29 win, outgaining Sparty 594 to 458. Michigan State, we'll find out where they drop in the college football rankings, but a very short lived top four ranking for Michigan State, no doubt. Uh, only one week. And I said last week that I thought this was a sneaky good test of Michigan State's readiness to be a contender. Because if you are a true top three team, granted, this is a, a, a dangerous Purdue team with some good players, but this is a game that if you're a true number three, you should be able to win. You can't let a game like this rise up and bite you. And that's exactly what happened. Now, credit to Purdue. They flashed a really astonishing stat uh, toward the end of the game. Purdue as a program has now 17 wins over top five teams as an unranked team. 
17 times as an unranked team, Purdue has beaten a top five team that leads all of college football. So Buckeye fans, very well aware of how dangerous Purdue can be and and how they've wrecked our dreams uh, in the past. You, You need to look no further than 2018, the last time these two teams played. Purdue basically ruined Ohio State's playoff chances uh, in that game. Another interesting result in Tuscaloosa, Alabama taken down to the wire by, well, a now four and five LSU team. Bama escapes with a 20 to 14 win over LSU, but this was an ugly, ugly performance for the Crimson Tide. They were held to 308 total yards of offense by the LSU defense and only six yards rushing. LSU had a chance to win this game late. Trailing by only six, LSU had the ball at the Alabama 42-yard line with 314 to play. They recovered a fumble, only down six. Uh, LSU was a disaster on that drive. They couldn't do anything. Uh, Alabama defense steps up, gets the stop, and they get away with a, a very clunky, lackluster win to uh, to remain in only one loss, Alabama 8-1. and one. But as I've been saying for the last couple of weeks, this Alabama team looks like the most vulnerable team Nick Saban has had of the last six or seven years. And it really feels like it's only a matter of time before Bama, before Bama loses again. Uh, we'll see. Also, up in Seattle, the Oregon Ducks taken down to the wire by the Washington Huskies. Now, Oregon was only a seven-point favorite in that game. Oregon was able to, they trailed at halftime, able to get control of the game in the second half. They get away with a 26-16 win. I think that's probably going to be enough to remain in the top four in in Tuesday's uh, college football playoff rankings. But uh, again, a lot of close calls. Number three, Michigan State going down. You have number four, Oregon looking shaky. You have number two, Alabama looking extremely shaky. So I guess if you're an Ohio State fan, you can take some solace in the rest of much of the rest of the country uh, struggling. You also had uh, number nine Wake Forest losing to unranked North Carolina. So I guess it could have been much worse for Ohio State yesterday, and they were, I guess, fortunate to escape with a nine-point win over a Nebraska team that's been very competitive. But as I said, that's not the standard at Ohio State. Right, we set a higher standard than that, and uh, I think it's reasonable given the the talent, the embarrassment of riches, especially on offense they have on this team. Ohio State should be held to a better, a higher standard, and they should be playing better. So overall, my, my coming out of this game, we were asking um, ourselves on the South Sands text thread, are we resetting expectations after this game? And I guess I have some reset expectations. Um, this does not look like a juggernaut. Ohio State does not. They 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 looked like it there briefly with wins blowout wins over Rutgers, Maryland, and Indiana, and look like they could very much be Georgia's equal should those two teams be matched up in the national championship game. Well, now it feels like any talk of a playoff, any talk of a potential matchup in the national title game with Georgia is very very premature. So I need to see I need to see a lot more from Ryan Day and Kevin Wilson on the offensive side. I need to see better performances out of the offensive line. I need to see he's a young player. 
but I still I need to see better decisions out of CJ Stroud. He's shown a ton of potential. He's flashed a lot of ability. I really like him. I still mostly trust him with the ball in his hands, but I need to see better decision making out of Stroud. I want to see more of Travion Henderson. I think he was underutilized yesterday against Nebraska. Okay, quick peek at the Purdue game. Purdue comes to Columbus. Six and three, they already have wins over two top three teams. Number two, Iowa, who is no longer ranked there, of course. Number three, Michigan State. Uh, the Boilermakers have played spoiler, as I've mentioned uh, bef- you know, many, many times before, uh, to Ohio State. The last time they vid- visited the Horseshoe, 2012, they had the Buckeyes on the ropes and really should have won that game. Kenny Guyton came in, relief of an injured Braxton Miller to pull that game out of the fire for the Buckeyes and preserve that undefeated season. And of course, we remember, and I, I've already referenced it the last time these two teams plays, it was an utter disaster. Ohio State gets run off the field in West Lafayette, 49 to 20. And Purdue is very much a dangerous opponent for Ohio State. Now, Surprisingly, the Buckeyes open as a 19-point favorite in this game, and I find that line to be very, very high. I, I find that to be surprisingly high. I don't think, I do not expect uh, Ohio State to win that game by 19, but uh, very much looking forward to it. It's going to be a 3.30 Eastern kick on ABC. I'm going to try and wrangle both Chad and Paige for a preview of that game later in the week. But uh, that is one of three very stiff tests to close out the regular season for Ohio State. That's really, really going to test this team's toughness. It's going to test this team's depth. You've got Michigan State coming to the shoe the following week and then a trip to Ann Arbor to square off with Michigan, uh, hopefully before Ohio State's fifth straight appearance in the Big Ten title game. But I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. So again, we're going to try and wrangle the boys for a pod later this week. Until then, thanks so much for listening and have a great night. been listening to the south stands a buckeye football podcast you can follow us on twitter instagram and facebook and visit our website at southstandsosu.com